Hello everybody and welcome to Love Unlocks Live Sessions. I'm Heinz Winkler and it's Tuesday and for those of you who log in uh, on a usual, on, on a normal basis, you'll notice we're an hour earlier than usual. But thank you for joining us at 12 o'clock here for Love Unlocks Live Sessions. We have an amazing guest today and I'm super excited about it. If you're here for the first time, Love Unlocks is the program where we chat to amazing people about how God's love has unlocked their lives and how God continues to unlock other people's lives through their lives or their work or their ministry. And it's brought to you by our ministry called Love Key. And at Love Key, we minister wholeness to families and unity to the body of Christ. And we really believe that healthy families build a healthy nation. And we have a big thing in our heart to, to just minister into that space. And that's what these conversations also are about. So thank you for joining us. And thank you for those who are partnering with Love Key. We really appreciate it. If you enjoy these sessions and you want to be a partner of Love Key, you can go to one of the links in this post. You'll see it's there, lovekeymission.com slash partner. And you can be part of this. And the new song is about to drop for Heritage Day. 24 September. We are busy making the music video and we would love for you to be a part of that. You can either go to the link on my Facebook page and Instagram and, and see where, where the song is and the lyrics and you can sing along to it while taking a small video and sending it to us or you can just take a short video where you hold a piece of paper or a banner or something that says our nation belongs to God and send that to us. We would love to get as many faces and voices behind this song of South Africans making that declaration. So please support us in that. We would really appreciate it so much. All right, so today I've got a, a very special guest. He's an amazing man. He's, uh, he's a husband. He's a father. He is someone who has two master's degrees. He's busy with a PhD from what I can tell. Uh, he's also on, on various NPO boards and he's an amazing man of God. Uh, he's a pastor and uh, currently he's the chief lead or the lead chief ad activist of One South Africa, a new movement that promises to bring a new hope and a new system to our nation. Please welcome to Love Unlocks, Musi Mayamane. Yes. Uh. <laughs> How are you, my friend? No, I'm good. Thanks. And you, Heinz, it's great to be on your show and uh, good afternoon to all South Africans or anyone who's joining us. But it's it's super great to be here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I, I know you told me earlier you're not feeling your best today, but thank you for still making time. We really appreciate it and uh, we all hope you feel better soon. Uh, to those who are logging in and watching and listening from all over the, the nation and the globe, th uh, welcome and thank you so much. Please tell us where you are listening from and if you listen to us today and have any questions, you're more than welcome to pop them on here or comments. We'll, we'll share them as we go along. Uh, thank you so much. Musi, how have you and your family been doing with with lockdown with this whole very weird year we've been having Are you guys doing okay yeah, yeah yeah i was just thinking um firstly let me just celebrate and congratulate you on just the role you're playing in our country and just ultimately even just your contribution to south africa through art through music and through certainly what um the particular the ministry you've set up now that seeks to unlock families and hope and love i think is a powerful wow. thing so thank you bro. i, I wish you strength it. south africa south africa knows very well how it is important to have families that are strong and our country is 
had a history of broken families. So yeah. that's been in part. So I celebrate that work. I think during COVID, it was fascinating. You know, I've traveled a lot. I, I, I run a 24-7 schedule and uh, obviously we ran a big diary and it was quite busy. And so part of the work that we've had to do is uh, during lockdown, I actually found it quite great to, for the first time in a long time, be at home, be at home with my kids, be at home with uh, my wife for a long time. I've played more football games than I could care to count. I still maintain to my son that I'm still leading in terms of the amount of games I've played. And, well and I've, it's been great to have to hang out with my daughter. She's a, she keeps me entertained. She's smart as anything and um, so proud of her and just the conversations we had. She's at that age now where, where we can go out on a go grab an ice cream on a date and she tells me all sorts of things that are fascinating and obviously just as a family and my wife has been good to kind of reset so much and I think that's what COVID and this lockdown has been an opportunity to reset and sure. and God forbid that we go back to what we used to be pre-COVID. I hope yeah. that we've learned some things. Yeah, I, I, that's a great thing to have that attitude, you know, what can we learn from this and how can we grow and and what has you know to see the good that has come of it i think there's a lot of that as well definitely yeah. that's amazing how long have you and natalie been married now we've been married for 15 years um, oh wow and <laughs> i know we got married well done we got married young uh it's been uh, it's been 15 incredible years uh, some uh, like any other any other couple some tough years and some good years but um it's been great it's been a journey and um certainly one that has enriched both of us and we're grateful really been grateful that's awesome please tell us a little bit about the the story of, of how you guys met and and how long was it before you popped the question you know um Funny enough, Natalie and I both can't remember when we first met. It wasn't like one of those stories where we're like, she was across the room and then I saw her <laughs> and that was that. Uh, funny enough, I was I was leading a in one church and she'd come from another church and our two churches merged. So I oh, guess in some ways, okay. our, unity, our unity was to seal the deal between the two churches. We had nothing oh, to do wow. That it. sounds like a, an old school, you know, kingdom, <laughs> yeah. kingdoms coming together. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, it was an it was an arranged marriage. But, um, <laughs> uh, she, we we so so, but but we we became really good friends. We were, we had always been uh, uh, very very close in terms of friendship, and you know we didn't um, we she we she kind of used to be in our worship team, and she's a great drum drum. I don't know what you. She's, a drummer. She plays drums. I don't know what you call. Oh, okay, just a drummer. That's yeah, it. just a that's drummer. That's the term I was looking. For. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's so cool! So, I didn't know that about her. That's awesome. Yeah, so she's a she's a muso at heart, and it's been fascinating during lockdown. My daughter is learning how to play bass guitar, so it's interesting <laughs> at home uh, to listen to all of it. But but we 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 kind of got to know each other through that, and then so she said she couldn't resist my incredible charm, and then <laughs> subsequent to that, uh, I like I think, that. I think we 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 dated for about six months or so, okay. and then because we've been friends for a long time. I proposed, um, we were engaged for about eight months and then got married and we've been married for 15. That's amazing. 15 years. We're, we're very yeah. close behind you. This September, my wife and I are 14 years. So we're actually 
just oh. just uh, just on your heels there. <laughs> yeah. No, congratulations. I think I'll congratulate your wife in this regard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, I I married up, and I'm grateful every day <laughs> that she's still with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so cool. Um, please tell me the first word that comes to mind when you think of your wife. Smart. Okay. Um, and and not because she married me. Honestly, that would that people would question people would question would question her wisdom. Uh. But in truth, I, I think my wife's uh, is gracious, smart, and really with deep insight into what happens. I've I've watched her in many ways have an instinctive feel for how something is going to turn out without. I try and work things out. I try and be smart about things. She, she, she just gets it. So, so incredibly smart and gracious. Uh, those are the two words. If I can abuse platform, that's awesome. No, that's that's what it's for, man. Uh, that's great. And and your children. What are the words that you comes to mind when you think of them? When I think about KG, I think uh, funny enough that I. Delight. I, my daughter makes me laugh. She's one of the few that can in the world. She, <laughs> but more than anything, she knows how to get people together in one place and get them to go in a direction. So she's a superstar in that regard. And my son, I would say, I would use the word fighter because whenever when he was born, I used to say he's the only member of our family who supports the Reds. But uh, <laughs> but. Uh, um, but he really is is really feisty and he's got a deep conviction. You see, he, to me in our home, is a bit like David and the worship leader in the sense that he will fight for right and wrong. And uh, I find more than anything, he's one person you don't want to cross. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, it sounds like you've got two natural-born leaders in the home. I guess that just makes sense, you know, <laughs> you being a leader as well. That's amazing. I love it. So cool. And uh, can you, over your years of, uh, you know, being in church, traveling, civil service, all these things, um, I know from my own experience, you know, especially going on stages and being in different environments, it, it can easily happen that, you know, embarrassing moments creep up on you. Is, is there an, an, any embarrassing moment you can recall and maybe share with us today? I've had many. I've had many. My, I've, uh, I mean, I mean, the ones I, I, my very first sermon ever I ever preached. You know, um, communication is an art, and it's something that you work hard at. Mm. And like I thought to myself, I prepped the sermon. I, you know, I prepared it, and I thought it was gonna go down so well, and all of that. And I just remember starting, and it was just terrible. It was just terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. That like I think what I thought was gonna last me like fifteen minutes, like I'm done. And then like as I sat down, this woman walked up to me and very graciously said, "That was dreadful, man." Oh, <laughs> and <I> thought, wow! <laughs> and, oh my and, word! And, and she gave this book to say, "Please read this book. Yes, uh, it will really help you." I still remember the book. It was called Polished Arrows, and oh, I remember wow. holding it, thinking to myself. This is real uh, encouragement. So I have had plenty <laughs> for that. From that, uh, I've okay. had a few. Okay. Well, it's uh, did you read the book and become a polished arrow? <laughs> so I did actually read the book. Okay. I always feel nervous. Every time 
equipment, on a stadium, anywhere else, still you would know this. You, you are bigger. You need to be bigger than the circumstance. And, yeah. And I've had highs and lows in communication, but I'm grateful that overall it's it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of discipline and i worked i work hard on communication so uh it's one of the things that are things that i believe that it's like you you've got a music gift but but you can't sit and say that's it you know like yeah. you're not going to practice you're not going to do anything you'll just show up yeah. and just be there yeah. i find people who are like sometimes yeah. especially uh, sitting amongst christians they sometimes think you know just just i just show up and the lord will do the rest and i'm kind of like yeah sure just show up and be prepared and actually do the hard yards you know yeah i think i think there's a there's a term there's a term in the bible that that i i need to remind myself of it's called co-laboring so there's there's both you know you need to do what you can so that there can actually be a supernatural increase of what you bring but if you bring nothing it's a little hard <laughs> Uh, that's that's good. Absolutely, I like that. and, and I, I sometimes think we ask God to do the things we ought to be doing. You know, like a like like I, you, you know, you can't. You God has given you a brain, has given you an ability. Mm. That's those are the things you bring to the table. The things that are life changing and impactful for people. That's what He does. I can't change anyone's life. I can't do any of that. But I'm gonna show up and make sure I do my absolute best. Sometimes I get it wrong, um, but you know. I, I've got to show up there with my absolute best because I wouldn't do that for another human being. Why would I suddenly want to do that for God? Yeah, that's good. I like that. So you studied a, f- a few different things uh, that seemingly far apart for many people. Uh, there's public administration and then there was theology. Um, did you always think you will bring the two together? Uh, was that your dream governance or where did the dream start? How did it develop? You, you know, this is a it's a great question because to a large extent, my name Musi actually means leader, ruler. Okay. Something that I, I think perhaps maybe my grandmother who gave me the name, kind of knew. And so, to mm. your point about do you always hold on to a dream? I think in many ways sometimes God grabs a hold of you before you can even. And your job is to live out that dream rather than try and sometimes find it. I think it, it, it pursues you so much. Because when I think about how my life tapestry has worked itself out, whether it was in primary school, I always thought to myself, what can I do to make a difference in circumstance A? Whether it was in high school, I used to, I we ran our whole high school, not only our only Christian club, I ran our tennis team, I ran our, I, I was then in the SRC of the school and and all of that. And then when I finished school, my first degree is I thought I'm going to do psychology as a start. And when I started studying psychology, it's because I was trying to understand human behavior and community psychology. So I did that as a start. And then I thought, uh, because I'd been involved in church and doing that impact, I then did a master's in theology because I wanted to understand the combination of what it meant psychologically for human beings and what is the theological imprint of that. And so to try and merge those two. Wow. And wh- cool. whilst, whilst on a journey, I mean, my, my second master's in, in public administration really came out of a, a genuine leap of faith coming out of a very strong church community to say, how can I go serve God in this area? And again, mm. I didn't feel I needed to arrive there kind of like, oh, well, We'll just show up. Showing up is the first start, but I knew I wanted to find a tax model that will help people. That's why I did economics. 
That's amazing. So it was really birthed out of a place of I want to make a difference and and uh, find a way to to do it properly. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, so you, you're a very learned man uh, and you're busy with the PhD. What's the PhD about that you're doing now? Yeah, my PhD is on I'm studying how local local governance can impact uh, economic development. So in other words. If you think about uh, the, the city of Cape Town and you think about the city of Johannesburg, they are the two major cities that drive our economic forces. If yeah. those cities do not work, our economy doesn't work. So yeah. I'm trying to build yeah. up a, a governance model that says, how do we help other cities become like that? Because ultimately, in the long run, we want to make sure that at local level, our cities are strong because cities are the new countries. They're the new future. We don't talk about countries. You talk about London. You don't talk about great britain as yeah, it were yeah. you talk about you know whatever cities new york because that city has to work in a particular way to attract investment to do the things it needs to do sure so so i think south africa needs needs great cities that's a that sounds like a great plan and how's it going as you have you have you come up with the answer <laughs> Hard, hard, hard slog. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I, I, I really feel like a, it is a hard slog. I won't yeah. lie. It's a hard slog. Yeah. When, when do you hope to be finished with the, the dissertation? Hopefully, we'll do our first submissions towards the middle or to the latter part of next year. Okay. And uh, once that's done, we hopefully will go defense in... Early, so if I can, my my sole goal is to try and by twenty twenty two at the start of twenty twenty two to be done with it. Yeah. Wow, well, good luck with that. I hope it goes really well, and you and we can uh, all benefit from what you find. Uh, is there is there a difference for you between governance and politics? Not at all, actually. I I think that we've had great examples. When I think about the life of Joseph, I don't think of Joseph just as a dreamer. I think mm. of someone who entered a very strong political realm, came up with an unbelievable economic model. This was a guy who foresaw that the nation would go into debt, and therefore mm. he created counter-cyclical budgeting. That's what we now call it today. Oh, wow. But he created savings in good times and created an expenditure framework in bad times. I mean... Now, now economics talk about that as either counter-cyclical or Keynesian modeling. But the fact is, Joseph had it. So wow. it wasn't that this guy went into, he just knew how to govern. And I, I think I think about other people. I think David, we often talk about, you know, his defeat of Goliath and all sorts of stories like that. But here, here was a guy who managed to organize how governance would work for Israel. Probably yeah. the first one to organize the idea of state and what a state actually does. So... Sure. To me, I've never seen that as a difference. I, th I think that um, leaders, leaders who understand their anchor, who understand where they come from, come into spaces and bring influence and and lead in a particular way. So, so I, I don't see a difference in that. And I think I think sometimes we've we've taught people um, that politics is dirty. Yeah, it's almost like teaching young people about about sex. <laughs> We kind of give young people a bad view about what politics is about. And yes, there's evidence of how politicians do things that are not helpful, that are not godly, mm. that do not help nations. But I do think that 
there's an, always an opportunity to serve the nation in that role. And I think it's now about time that if we're really going to redeem areas of society, that politics is one of the areas. And I certainly have never thought about thinking, now today I'm going to do something spiritual and then tomorrow I'm going to do something less spiritual. Yeah. I sort of live in a world where I kind of go, today I'm going to do what I believe my, what God has called me to do and what I'm orientated to do. So what would you say about the, the, the separation of church and state and the separation of the sacred and the secular? What is your opinion on that? I, th I think first and foremost, there's the church as a spiritual entity and there's a church as a religious organization. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we talk about the church, we almost synonymize those two entities. It would be bad if the church was separate from the state because mm. in one level, surely, surely the state needs godly wisdom. Surely the state needs people who can discern what the times. Surely the state needs that, right? Yeah. Like I think... I think I think we need that. And so where I think, for example, the organized church in terms of the religious entity of church, I, I do think it becomes quite problematic in a democratic state when the church simply says, Okay, this is uh, what this is this is the influence that the church has within a democratic state. I, I, I do think we need to think about these issues differently. But I personally think that we've taught that for so long that there must be this massive separation all this thinking and thinking about even this idea of sacred secular because whilst i accept that some things are sinful i just do think that we are salt and light and we have influence over situations and i i, I would be very cautious to try and create the impression that people are that divided in society yeah sure that's good i like that um i wanted to know you know with what you've achieved so far your 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 plans with your phd the yeah your family this you're in such an amazing space in life and, and I, I i saw you recently became 40 got, uh, turned 40 uh congratulations um <laughs> i i want to know if you look at this what some people would call the second half of your life um what is your your big life dream that you would love to see achieved in your lifetime i i dream about our nation you know i love south africa I am serving as best as I can in our nation. And in many ways, I, I have set my life up to say, how can I best serve our people? And going into our second half, I, I feel since turning 40, I've become a lot more clearer in my headspace about challenging some of the things I believed in the first half of my life. And, you know, and I think that's always important. I think anybody who's growing must always be able to discern the times and be able to say to yourself, maybe at first I believed X, now I need to think harder about what I believe now. Mm. And also to add a degree of significance. And what I would want to do is, uh, I, I remember when I took a leap into politics, I said to myself, God, can I be a history maker by serving God in my generation? Mm. And every thing and every work that I do, if I could wake up, in 20 years time having saying to myself at 60 i've made a contribution to south africa to south africa's economy to make sure more people are included that actually the dream of a non-racial south africa is becoming more and more of a reality that in fact it is possible that uh, our country can truly be restored economically and make sure that it prospers well then i think it would be a life well spent 
That's great. Well done. Um, I saw that term in your recent article. You talk about a non-racial South Africa. Will you please help us understand what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a term that's now been bandied about in many conversations and no one can deny the fact that we're living through a racially polarizing universe at this point. Yeah. You know, for me, race is such a, a, a big part of who we are as a society. And whilst it's not born out of biology, there's, there's, there's far less difference between you and I in comparison to what you and your wife share. You know, the differences, they are significant. Yet, by function of history, the color of my skin has determined certain opportunities, has determined where I grew up, where I was born, what health care I would get, mm. etc. And in truth, it's not about saying that I then would hate someone of a different race. It's that it's a function of our own background and past. Mm. But the beauty behind it is that I also do think that it's actually the diversity of our nation. I think when God looks at the earth, I don't think it's just this color blind. That would be boring. I think color <laughs> is beautiful. I yes. think I think you look at you look at people, you say, Wow, those are Africans, those are black Africans, those are white Africans. Those are there is a beauty and a diversity about that. And so the starting point about race isn't to introduce it from a function of negativity and say, Oh well, naturally it means someone is gonna be racist or someone is gonna be racially superior or inferior. It's about an acknowledgement of diversity. Yeah. And my family, when I come home, my wife is a white South African, my kids are mixed race. I don't come home and be on some like, oh, I'm better than you because I'm black or I'm whatever. We come home and we're like, we celebrate. We yeah. look at, the, the, I mean, my kids are beautiful. They've got unbelievable hair because the two of us from different backgrounds and races came together. Yeah. And now we have beautiful kids. And I would say that no one else's kids are beautiful, but I'm very biased in this matter. Of course. <laughs> but, but having said that, I think um, sometimes what we should not deny is that sometimes, so, so for me, non-racialism cannot mean color blindness. Non-racialism must mean racial harmony. It must mean that actually together we can work together so that all of us prosper. And it's not a war between black versus white. It is sometimes black and white people working together to say who amongst us is being left out. And in our country, it's not racist to say that it is majority black people who are left out. It's majority black people who are poor. It's majority black people who are in the main still don't have a good education. In fact, just as a practical example, TB amongst white South Africans doesn't exist, yet it is a prevalent killer amongst black South Africans. Sure. Those are the basic facts. Yeah. So if we understand that problem, then we can collectively together say, how do we work together to address that? Yeah. So my invitation is, is that yes, for my wife and I who are of different races with different backgrounds, can work together to build a South Africa where one day the color of your skin does not determine where you live, work, what healthcare you have, and in this instance, what diseases you suffer from. Sure. That's a great dream. I can, uh, I can get behind that as well. I think we need people, more people dreaming that way. Uh, and I also think, uh, you know, being non-racial is probably a, a good new term to have because being colorblind is not the solution uh, because we just then deny 
how we each were born and there's i think there's a reason behind it i think as with anything there's there's a there's a good god ordained reason why certain things are made a certain way but it's easy to 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 for the devil to or us in the way we think just to distort the beauty that is there and to make it less than or to I don't know, be fearful of it because we don't understand it and then we act out, whatever the reason might be. Well, there's a there's a way to, like you said, enjoy, celebrate the diversity we do have. And I mean, I, I, I know from my own experience, when I leave our nation, go to another nation and I come back, that I love coming back and to the diversity because you actually miss it. You miss the the richness of how many different kinds of people we have, different languages. When I explain to, to people in America, for example, first of all, when they, when they hear I'm from South Africa, they go, but you're white. <laughs> and then you have to go, yes, um, <laughs> there are some of us here. <laughs> and, and then, you know, you get all the questions about how, what they think of the nation. And, and then, but, but they, then you tell them there's 11 official languages, but there are actually more. And they go, what? That's crazy. And then you go, that's so cool, actually. There's none, no other place like, like this. And, and we, can, we should see the positive and get excited about it. You know, I, I love that. So good. I always tell I always tell people. I say to them, you know, when if I say to you, you want soup. The pro, the, the thing about soup is that if I make you a vegetable soup, I just take all the all the vegetables and then blend them all together. When you have soup, you don't know which vegetables were in there to start off with. You just know either they taste well or not. Yeah, that's one way of looking at race. But another way of looking at race is about being able to go. Hang on. What about a fruit salad? Yeah. You know, when you have a fruit salad, you can see the bananas there, you can see the apples there, you can see the, the pears there. Together, they make a beautiful fruit salad. It doesn't mean the bananas are better or than one or they matter more than the other. It's that they all make a beautiful fruit salad. Yeah. So to me, my view of diversity and society is that we need more fruit salads in the world because... That's the beauty of who we are. And I love that about who we are as a country. And you know what? If people have a problem with that, honestly, they must look at our recent uh, Springbok team. You can't deny the fact that that team, diverse, that in there you can have Cheslin Kobe, who has a different dynamic. Yeah. In there you've got Sia Kolisi. In there you've got Peter Steff to toy. All of them playing rugby doesn't make them it just means that because they've got such different backgrounds, and, and that's why I celebrate the Springbok rugby, because I remember as the coach was giving his final talk, and because I have a very good relationship with Sia, he told me this firsthand. He said, you know what, Sia? You are playing for the people of Zwide who have been left out, and that's what you must remember today. Sure. Peter Steff, you are standing for our country because our nation needs this win right now, and if all of us work together towards that, we can give hope for our nation. So and then good. he said, the UK, if they win, they'll get an additional pay. But for you guys, the nation needs that. And I just thought that's such a beautiful <laughs> image of what it's like when all of us work together to win because we give something that no one else in the world has. Wow, that's so good. I love that. Will you please share with us where your journey with, with God started, your salvation story? Um, and, and some of the landmarks that you can remember that stands out in your journey with God. Yeah. Look, I, I, I grew up in a Catholic uh, environment. I okay. 
was um, and 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 I'll, I I had a great upbringing. You know, the Catholics. For me, the the beauty of Catholicism is that they understood that in the 80s, that that apartheid could not mean that black kids could not study. So they put up an incredible primary school in Dobsonville, Soweto. I wow. got educated there. That's amazing. It was where sure. I I met. Uh, many Catholic priests who happened to be white because many of them used to come from, come from countries like Ireland. Suddenly apartheid was a different story. Suddenly mm. you looked at it and you thought, ah, but not all white people are racist or whatever. It's not like that. It's that, yeah, South Africans, black and white, worshipping together. So I loved and I still celebrate that upbringing because I think sometimes people kind of go, oh, you grew up Catholic. And I'm like, yeah, I grew up Catholic. And then when I was in high, in high school, I had a real encounter with God on a one-on-one -on -one level. I was at a youth camp and I'd been serving there and I felt a, a genuine invitation to a personal relationship with Jesus. And that really changed, uh, that moved from an idea of faith as a religious thing to a personalized journey. I felt a personal invitation to follow Jesus and, and that started a, a deep sense of mission, personal mission. And um, I have since then, I was grateful for that year I spent at Scripture Union because when I finished school, I was 16 in matrix, so I couldn't really go off to drive or to work or to do anything like that. So I thought I'll, I'll take a year off. And Scripture Union gave me a year opportunity where I could work as a trendsetter. And, and that taught me what it is to not only be a follower of Jesus, but to be a disciple, to genuinely have a devoted devotional life and all of that, and that set me up to get involved even as a, in, in not only in youth ministry, but uh, just a deep passion for that. And then it's been a journey, and then I, I, I became a youth pastor at our local church and carried on since then, you know. That's amazing. So the, and, and at what point did you feel, was it always just there, even before salvation, that you, that you just felt a... a this this heart this calling to to be a leader to to help make a difference or was that did it come after salvation or was it maybe strengthened after salvation i really think that in many ways and this is something that i've come to know recently mm. that it is god who authors the affairs of men my parents and i think about this now even with my kids my parents just played a role in what god is doing in my life in that sense, I think that God had a plan for me and what that would mean from the 6th of June when I was born. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. And so I think what salvation does is that it, it peels back a layer of what God wants to do in your life even more so. Okay. I don't, I think every human being is born with a particular purpose that God has orchestrated that because I have to, in my heart, genuinely believe that even though people may not know God, they are still creations of God. And if that remains true, then the same God who made me with the genetic composition that I have is the same God that gave me purpose, is the same God that did that. So that to me was a journey. But more specifically, there have been moments in my life where, for example, I was speaking at a youth event and I felt in that uh, time, I said, God, um, there's a young person in the room here who, who needs to go out and, and serve God in politics. And 
unbeknownst to me, no one responded. So I felt a bit panicked as a youth pastor back then. I said, you know, you start to think, is there anyone with a headache? I'm sure someone will respond to that. We can pray for them. <laughs> at least one headache. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, at least one headache. Somewhere, somehow. And, then, <laughs> and when, I got, when I got in the car that night, my wife said to me, I think that young person was you, you know. And that, in some ways, confirmed an invitation towards politics. In fact, just even after that, that encounter, there were so much other things that happened. I went to go visit a woman who didn't have toilets and was digging a toilet in her garden. And I remember saying to this sure. woman, why are you doing this, Mama? Yeah. And she said to me, no, look, I'm, I'm digging my own toilet. I thought this is an injustice, which introduced a, an, a, a, an anger within me. And I mm. get that not everybody's going to go through these encounters, but God authors the affairs of man. Yeah. Right? And... And after that, decided to study. That's when I decided to do a, a, a macroeconomics as a discipline because I wanted to make sure that woman will one day get a toilet. And when I was leading the year and we got governance of Johannesburg, I remember telling the mayor, I said to him, that's why I got into this thing. You best go and make sure that woman has a toilet because that's why I got into this thing. Wow. So I guess my life story has always been about making sure that woman gets a toilet. That's what I would sum up my life in that. That's so good. It it makes me think of the the story. I've heard many v versions of it, but about the the boy or the girl. Sometimes it varies about walking on the beach, throwing starfish back into the ocean, and the older man comes along and says, "You're never going to make a difference." You know, look how many there are on the beach, and the child says, "It makes a difference to this one." And even if the one can lead to you wanting to make a difference, you end up making a difference to more people because she's one of many that probably had the same situation. And uh, sure, that's, that's awesome. What would you say is the greatest challenge or the greatest issue we face as a nation at the moment? I, I, I really think that as a country, I mean, we've got many, but... At, when it's said and done, to be honest with you as a nation, I think we have a governance problem. Mm. We have lost our way of being able to, first of all, govern ourselves as citizens. Yeah. Because I think there's something abnormal when families are broken down. I mean, just as a basic statistic, yeah. when you contrast, um, more than half the kids born in this country are born are registered to single mothers. More than half. Yeah. So that tells you that that's the state of the South African family. Sure. And I'm not here sure. to suggest that women are, are inadequate as mothers or, or even in the role of parenting. No. I'm just simply trying to indicate the simple fact that our families are broken down. Yeah. So we have a problem of governance at home. We have a problem of governance in terms of our cities, in terms of our municipalities. It cannot be that we live in a country where on other days others are throwing away food when others do not have food. Mm. Now, governments must be able to make sure that at least at a basic level, no citizen goes hungry, no citizen is without water, no citizen is without electricity. That you and I are having to have a debate about whose internet is bad or worse is a failure of governance at one sure. level because we better have... Uh, it should be a right for everybody to be able to enjoy. This should be something that connects everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think... 
We have a genuine governance problem, which has many consequences. It results itself in corruption. It results itself in crime. It results itself in gender-based violence. It results itself in politicians feeling that they're not accountable to anybody because no one is accountable. And therefore, the judicial system then becomes overwhelmed. And I think as a nation, we have a governance problem. And I, I, I really think that the sooner we begin to attend to that problem and all of its infrastructure, the more we can be able to reform what our nation can be. Yeah. And, and from what I understand, that's what you guys are trying to do with One South Africa Movement, right? Yeah. I mean, One South Africa Movement uh, is, a, is, is exactly that. We want to, we, I always say it becomes a philosophy. We've got to think about how together all citizens, black and white, mm. can work and live together and prosper together. But one of the key drivers behind that is to say, how do we reform the Electoral Act to an extent upon which people can directly elect people. Because yeah. suddenly if someone is accountable to a community, to a city, to a town, then suddenly they don't think to themselves, when I go represent people in parliament, I can go just wear my party jacket and vote on that basis. Yeah. But they can literally represent someone. And, and so to me, one of the things I feel we've lost as a country are leaders who are leading people. I feel like we've got leaders who are leading parties, but we don't have leaders who are leading people. And we need people who can be back on the ground in communities, leading, working with citizens. Imagine if, for example, the people in the Eastern Cape said, our hospitals are falling apart. Who are the MPs that we voted for who must go speak on behalf of what is going on with our hospitals? Yeah. And at this point in time, no one is accountable where the hospital works or doesn't work, where the school works or doesn't work, where there's a crime or it doesn't crime, or whether farmers are being murdered or not. Yeah. None of these things. There are, there are issues where people are not being held accountable. And so our, our movement as one South Africa is to say, let us reform the Electoral Act let us directly elect people so that we can have people who are activists, who are advocates, who can hold people to be accountable in areas of education and the economy. That's so good. And for me, I see a direct link between a lack of good governance and accountability because it actually goes hand in hand. And, and uh, the, the problem that you're referring to of governance in families that it even starts there as the nucleus of our society, I, I would put the word fatherlessness on that. And it's, it's not the, the patriarchal negative version. It's the, it's the thing of just, uh, in general, we, we don't have men that are standing full in their roles as fathers, leaders uh, of their communities. And, and I think that that is the call that I'm also hearing uh, from, from you and from One South Africa, that, that we need to stand and be accountable. And I think if what I like about your explanation on, on the One South Africa website, it's a, it's a grassroots level uh, up movement. Uh, let's change things from from the ground up. Uh, maybe just explain a bit more about what that means for you. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us would know very clearly we live in many South Africas, right? Like yeah. there's a South Africa for the wealthy, there's a South Africa for the poor, there's a South Africa for the working, for South Africa that, you know, and others would say there's a South Africa for black and there's a South Africa for black, for white. Mm. It just that's the South Africa as we live in. So when we talk about building one South Africa, you cannot deny the fact that more than half of our citizens, more than half, live below the upper poverty line. Sure. So if we're going to fix that, we have to get back to saying, who are the citizens in our country that we need to work and build with? It's, it would be easy for me to focus on people who read the business day. But in all fairness, that's only about fifteen to 20,000 people. There's a small 
constituency in our country. Yeah. If more than half are living below the upper poverty line, best we walk the streets of the poor, let's best we hang out with citizens on the ground, and let's build from the grassroots up, and all of us can do it, right? Let's get people coming from our communities, whether it's that local church in Somerset or whether that's that community in Constantia or Kailicha or whatever, Soweto, all of these communities. Let's get back to working with them because ultimately any country that is governed well knows that it serves the citizens and particularly citizens who are most vulnerable. And yeah. I think we, if we get that right, we can restore servant leadership we can restore accountability where people feel like I'm dealing with people who are on the ground. And that's why, as one is saying, I refuse the idea of building another political party. I think politics have become for the elite. They've become self-serving and they've missed the point about what people actually want. Because, frankly, the, even if we vote, nothing actually changes. So, frankly, I think we need to go back and say, let us as citizens be able to express the power that is within us. What is that old line, uh, government by the people for the people? <laughs> And we've we've lost that completely. That is not the case, eh? Yeah. So and it's a, yeah. Sorry, go. No, and I'm saying that it's one of the saddest things about our time is that we've lost to a point. When I was when I think about actually the changes that happen in politics, I think to myself, on whose behalf are these people fighting for? Yeah. You can ask anybody. If I've spoken about anybody, I always ask the question. On whose behalf are you talking? If it's on behalf of your jacket, then you're a careerist. Yeah. Then let's accept that this is a career for you, yeah. not a calling. And and for me, going into this space, I believe is a calling. And the moment it stops becoming that and becomes a career, trust me, there are better careers to pursue. Yeah, sure. Lots needs to change. Lots needs to be uh, be addressed. We we have many movements um, happening in in our nation and around the world, and uh, but some some of them have have gained some traction here. I know of uh, one or two that are that are completely based on biblical values, and they're very outspoken about it. Um, and the, the 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 challenge I think there is that it may alienate some people that um, that don't you know say they are Christian. Um, you are a Christian, people know you're a Christian, but you communicate the things that you want to do in a way that is not uh, Christianese, if I can say it that way. Um, but how do, we, how do we get to that place where we stand on, or, or with your movement, you stand on biblical values that you want to see happen in our nation, but you... But you know that you're communicating with many people from different backgrounds. Um, how do we get everyone on the same page, so it were, um, if you understand what I'm saying? If you don't mind, I might say something that might make some other people uncomfortable. Okay. We need to be wary not to fall more in love with the doctrine than the people we desire to serve. I've been in too many spaces where people fall in love with language. They fall in love. They... They fall in love with their own theology and doctrine mm. and forget that actually we were tasked with a simple job of serving people. Sure. And I know it might sound like I'm not saying we must abandon all of that. We mustn't, I'm just simply saying, who do you love the most? I think Jesus broke down many religious barriers. Mm. He went into spaces when people were like, oh, but this is the Sabbath. And he was like, let's heal or yeah. whatever the case might be. Yeah. So, so I think... That's the first point. And the second thing is, I think there's something 
unique in being able to get the heart and actually say, how do we mobilize society? Because we've got to talk to all citizens, to all South Africans. Mm. And, you know, not all South Africans are going to share my faith. But you know what? They might agree with me that we need an economy that's inclusive. Faith, but they might know that we must fix the environment so as to make sure that we have a planet that's sustainable for everybody. They may not share my faith, but they might know that we need an education system that's equitable to everybody. Yeah. So to me, I think the things that unite us as citizens are far greater than the things that divide us. And often when I speak to Christians, I go, they say to me, well, we must talk about the moral issues of this country. And I go, you know, with respect, I don't feel personally called to become the moral police of this of this country. I didn't sign up to go out and decide what lipstick people wear or what choices they make in certain instances. I genuinely believe that more than anything, I seek the prosperity of human beings. It's so that the church can do its job as we must in government do a particular job. Yeah. No, that's good. I think that's a good perspective to, to have. And uh, because I, I really think it, it must be a, a challenge to, to, bridge, to bridge that gap. But then on, on the other hand, I'm thinking God made all of us. And even though you may not uh, be a Christian or profess to be a Christian, there are certain basic values, like some of the things you've mentioned, that line up with Scripture that most people will agree with. Like, I want to live in peace. I want to feel safe. I want to feel loved i want to have a space where i can take care of my family and and you know most people won't argue with with those things as values and i think it's about finding the you know biblical based values that communicate to everybody um and and what i'm hearing from you today is that you know let's let's love people on on a level uh where where they where they can see the love of god in you in a, in a practical way. Um, one of my friends, he, he's got a feeding scheme. And he says, you know, they talk about we need to educate children. But there's some children who, who don't even have a meal in their stomach. So they feed them first and then they educate them because you can't, you know, learn anything if you're hungry. And that's, that's a kind of basic thing that I'm hearing from you today that we need to also focus on. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. And I think that. With respect, it is a poor reading of Scripture if we fail the basic exercise of justice. Mm. There is an injustice being committed in the world yeah. every single day. When Will, William Wilberforce took on the injustice of slavery, he didn't. He might. There might have been others who I'm sure quoted Scripture to him and said, "But this is what the Bible says about this and that." And he said, "This slavery is an injustice, and he'll fight for it." Yeah. So. What is the injustices occurring in our world today? And we don't need to sugarcoat them. If it's an injustice that, in fact, uh, other people live in communities that there are more murders taking place there, then we must fight against that injustice. Yeah. Because we, are, we have a conviction. And I, and I think, to me, you know, I, I'm grateful that one of the, the church I used to, I, I was at in Joburg and, and still is the, the leader there is a great friend, a spiritual father. I said, said something, he always said, you must love righteousness and justice. Mm. And righteousness about our right relationship with God. And I think the church has done incredibly well in that. But to be honest with you, the evangelical community has failed when it comes to the question of justice. Wow. Because I think, you know, like I shared with 
the Catholic Church educating kids in Dobsonville during the 80s when it was unpopular to do so. Yeah. I remember reading when HIV came out of Catholic priests saying, let's get the virus, we will test, we will test ARVs on ourselves. That is sacrificial love that mm. says to people, we're going to make a difference. The reason our emergency sign is a red cross is because the Anglican Church stood together and said, we're going to make a difference in terms of health care of people. The explosion of the early church is a function of people saying, if there are dead bodies on the streets because poor people cannot find anyone to bury them, we, the early church, will be the first ones to do it. So the acts of justice have never been foreign to the church. They've become foreign recently when we've pursued comfort at the expense of what our citizens are crying out for. Sure. That's powerful. So just to tag on to that, what, what would your message be to the broad church of South Africa? How, how, do we, how do we help effectively? How are we part of the solution and part of, in, instead of maybe making certain things worse? I think the church has got incredible resource. I think the church has got, is a powerful, 80% of citizens in this country would call, consider themselves religious. Mm. I'm saying to the church, get your act together. Mm. Let us mobilize society. Let us work harder at making sure that churches are able to encourage candidates who can stand for public office, who mm. can represent people and serve people. And I think there's a great opportunity to do so. I think that church buildings themselves have an amazing opportunity for people to be able to say, in our church, we don't just use it on Sunday for us to get together, but we allow for small businesses to come into our churches and, in fact, be able to use our internet so that they can be able to start their businesses, thrive, create jobs, because we believe that when people are not working, it's not it's not workable. We think that our, our churches can be places where people can we can educate people. And let us all, wherever we are, seek to build one South Africa. Yeah. I think the church should be at the forefront of the click saga, funny enough, because I actually think that we've allowed others to lead in a space where actually we should be the first ones to say anyone who discriminates against another creation of God is a discrimination against God. And therefore... People in the church should have been the forefront to stand up and say, we stand for a non-racial, peaceful society. And churches have the power to do so. So I guess my invitation to the church is, you are the most powerful voice. Let us use that voice. Sure. I, I, I really think there's a way that that, that can happen. And But I, I've, I've had this conversation with some leaders, uh, spiritual leaders. Um, I've, I've gotten into some hot water myself. Uh, making statements online when I felt like no one else was saying anything that should have said something. Um, and then the, the answer is, is very much, you know, we'll say the controversial things within the walls of our church. We don't want to do it on, on, a, on a public platform. Um, and sometimes I think that's wise. But other times, you know, how effective is it if you're not actually addressing the, the real issues? Um, and, I, and I, I know there are churches doing great work in their communities, and that's, I mean, it's not a knock on that. But, but there, there are times when I look at what's happening in the media, I look what's happening in our nation, and, and I feel the same way. I feel like, why does it seem like the church in general is quiet on, on very real issues? Um, and so maybe, you know, if you could speak to, to church leaders on that issue, what, what would your advice be? How do we navigate that? How do we lovingly speak the truth in a public forum as to bring, you know, bring our values into the space of, of, like you said, justice and righteousness. 
I, I think there's a great opportunity, first of all, for the church to facilitate conversations among citizens. Mm. Get together, have some real conversations about issues in this country. Mm. Because to say that controversy, sometimes it's not controversy, sometimes it's saying wrong things, you know, mm. at a time when people are looking for godly leadership. Get in a room, get a few people, have the tough conversations, whether those conversations are about race, because where those conversations are about the economy, where those conversations are about education, all of those things, get in the room, have a tough debate. But then, once you've done that, do not be silent. Go out and say things, because people's discomfort should never be a barrier to truth. Your, Sometimes truth that's is a good quote. Uh, it, 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 we, some people are going to be uncomfortable with the things that we say, mm. but we must go out and still have the courage of conviction to say them. The worst thing that can happen to, to church in this time, in this, and, and, I, and I say that as someone who is in the church and mm. loves the church, mm. I say that because we cannot be silent in the face of injustice, and I think history, history has, is, is, is filled with, with incredible people have come out of the church and said let's bring a reformation when it matters yeah and so i even celebrate when i hear archbishop mahoba stand up publicly and say we condemn corruption because those who are corrupt are looting from us that's a powerful statement from the church and you know what i'm sure there are people in his church that are very uncomfortable about that but you know what there's something in there that's powerful and i think the more that can happen as a discourse the more actually citizens can feel that actually church isn't just a place they gather together to be comfortable on a Sunday, but it is a place where out of Sunday, they can truly impact their Monday to Saturday. So good. And I I totally agree with that. I mean, the, the Bible is very clear in saying that, you know, the, the fivefold ministry is there to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which means the people that are getting the teaching, getting the, um, you know, they're learning, they, are, they should be learning biblical principles to apply in their everyday lives and go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think that there's a big gap still between the equipping of the saints and the saints actually going out and, and being the hands and feet. And, and uh, there I'm preaching to myself as well. I think we can all always do more than, than what we think. And it's about being sensitive to God's voice in how, how can I be your hands and feet today? You know, in, in my sphere of influence, in, in my daily walk, you know, am I going to walk past the issues that are glaring at me in my neighborhood? Or am I going to start getting involved and, 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 making a real difference and that's just one thought i have but but you know after listening to all these things we've talked about how can you know average citizens i want to say that uh, that are listening to this that may not be in a position of leadership or power but they want to be part of the solution how, how can we apply the things that that we've spoken about today practically in our lives be, be the change in your own community leadership is not uh, it's not about title it's really about servanthood and i think all of us can serve and for me i it's why we've set up one south africa and we give it to people mm. we give it to people to say this is your vehicle it gives you an opportunity to meet people you know during covid we distributed over two million meals and it's not because i'm trying to sit back and say wow look at us it wasn't us doing two million meals it was p- people who got together and said 
we can go do it ourselves mm. and we can build one South Africa. Yeah. We don't shut our eyes to people. So people must do that. I think that there are some incredible opportunities to network. And honestly, I appreciate uh, just even this moment we've been able to have. People can get a hold of us online. They can do whatever. You can go on our website. But I really would urge people, this is a time now not to be in lockdown in your mindset. Amen. But rather to be people who go out and say, we will confront the walls so that South Africa can be open. If we stop living in fear, you see, all of us are in fear in this country. We fear tomorrow, we fear unemployment, we fear so much. Mm. But I'd rather live in hope because hope is far more generous than fear. Mm. Hope opens the doors, hope trusts again, and we can go out and do it. So ordinary people, ordinary, all of us, let's get out, get our hands dirty, and let's go make a difference in our communities. Because when we do that, and, it, and we can elect people who serve us, and we could genuinely bring change in the world, in this country. Yeah. And I would urge, let's stop thinking in these divided models. Honestly, we think like, hey, I must do my own little thing here and my own little thing there. Partner with people. Partner with people you may not like because you'll figure out when you work with them that you actually weren't sure why you didn't like them in the first place. <laughs> and that gives you an opportunity. That's true. To really make a difference. That's so good. Um, maybe as, a, as just a practical thing... Maybe explain just because I don't know if everyone understands this, that the recent court case that was one that is forcing the Electoral Act to be to be changed um, and that also made the way for one South Africa to to work where independents can stand for significant positions of leadership. Just maybe explain briefly why that what happened there, why it's a great thing and, and what it means for communities in our nation. Well, firstly, I think my. My good friend Michael Louis, who you had on this uh, platform a while ago, certainly fought the challenge there and made sure that we went to the Constitutional Court to make sure that uh, independence can stand. So yeah. what that ruling actually does is that for people to represent people, they need not only stand as a political party, but they can stand as an independent. Mm. To me, I can take you through the complexities of the law, but when it's said and done, we'll split the country into 52 districts or constituencies and what will happen is out of those you can have men and women who are strong who you can directly go up to and say you want to vote for and I think that's powerful because they can be on the ballot box and they can be accountable to you so and the constitutional court has said they've got 12 uh, 24 months to do that and that was from June this year so by the time 2022 comes around we will have new laws as to how we vote and that, I really believe, will stop us from all watching what happens in a political party and feeling anxious, but rather truly watch what our member of parliament does because we would be the ones who get the mandate. Yeah. The power must shift away from political parties' boardrooms to actually parliament where the people's business is being discussed. And I just think that it's such a significant moment in our nation, change our country, and people can honestly be a part of that. And you can be, if you want to be a candidate in 2024, my advice is simply this to you, go join a school of governance, make sure that you are registered, go online, look at these things, get yourself equipped, because you don't want to arrive in parliament not knowing how a law is different to a bill and how it actually all ends up being affected in people's lives, but you want to get there fully educated to make a change in our society. 
So good. And I see that you guys are hosting those kinds of schools. The schools of government are, I think, starting now. Um, so you can see the link in this post to the, the One South Africa website. You can register. Uh, I, I've registered on the website. I, th I believe in what, what they're doing. And I think this can bring very positive change to our nation. Um, so please go and do that. Get involved and see how you can make a difference. Uh, I was just reminded of a scripture where it speaks of that God's throne, the foundations of God's throne are righteousness and justice. And, and both are so important. And we all can play a role in making a difference there. Just as a, as a final thought, um, what if, because to be honest, there's, there's a part of me that goes, you know, maybe I'm, I'm called to, to be part of this new move, being a community leader, but there's definite, um, you know, objections in my own mind, fear, worries what if you know putting myself out there what's going to happen how am i going to be attacked blah 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 there's all kinds of reasons to be afraid of stepping into this space what would your message be to people that feel there's this call but they may have certain fears about doing so um how can they overcome that um what are the signs they should look for in themselves whether they can do this maybe speak about that yeah i think to me you know Courage is not the absence of fear. I heard that quote. Courage mm. is acting despite the Yeah. And I think we need to, I'm always reminded, you know, when I went into politics, I remember that scripture in Genesis, I think it's 12, when Abraham gets a call from God, it says, not knowing where he was going, he still went anyways. Yeah, sure. So I think there must be something that inspires a courage to say, you walk regardless of not knowing. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is certainty. Mm. When you think something is going to turn out this way, then you don't have to walk in faith. I don't need faith to believe that today is Tuesday. I'm, otherwise, I'm loony. But what I do need faith is to believe for is that today is going to turn out in a particular way, that that's what we're working towards. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is figure out what things make you angry. I really think that sometimes anger is a driving inherent emotion. Sometimes brings out that righteous anger, that holy discontent, as others have framed it as. Yeah. The idea that I'm angry that there's an injustice in society. And you know what? When you are burning with an anger of injustice, you can face any difficulty. Because when it's said and done, sometimes I always say to myself, I get enough critique. There'll be people who watch this interview, and I'll get enough hate mail. Believe you me. But and you know me what? as well, probably. The hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> the hate mail I will get in comparison to the vision we're pursuing is a bit like turbulence in a plane. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much turbulence you face, so long as you know which destination you want to get to yeah. and get there. So, like, yeah. to me, I'm like, of course, people are going to crit you. But if you are angry enough about something greater than the critique, then you have a conviction to pursue because at the end of the day, that's all we've got as leaders. That's all we've got as people. Yeah. And I would ultimately say... Decide, act, decide, and yeah. act. Yeah, sure. There's that that famous quote: "Is uh, for for evil men to thrive, it takes just good men to do nothing." And uh, I think yeah. we 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 really need to rise up and and be the difference. And there's there's so many communities, so many people in this nation, um, but it, it's going to probably take a lot of courage to do that. Uh, but let's let's be the change. We live in interesting times, and I think we all need to be part of the solution.
Uh, Musi, thank you so much for your time today, for your heart, for your wisdom. Um, I I've just want to honor you as a man of God and a leader of this nation. Thank you for what you're doing, and may it be blessed and fruitful. Um, I would like to ask if, if you can end off by just praying for everyone listening and, and for praying for our nation. Sure. No. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Heinz. And dear God, thank you for today. Thank you that you are our provider. Thank mm. you that regardless mm. of the circumstances of our nation, you have never forsaken our country. God, we look to you in this time. And I truly pray that in this moment, uh, as others have listened, God, only, only what you've said will remain something that will stay with them for eternity, that God, our lives be impacted by moments such as this one, by conversations that really stir us up to be the difference you've called us to. God, you are faithful. I pray a blessing over everybody, and I pray your protection, and may God bless our nation. Amen. Amen. I'd like to pray for you as well. Lord, I thank you for Musi, his wife Natalie, his family. He's calling on his life and the, the movement that they're busy with. Lord, I just want to come together with everyone who's in agreement and just uh, just bless them. We want to speak life over them and protection and guidance. Lord, thank you that you will just uh, cover them with your holy uh, supernatural protection, that your angels will be around them, your wall of fire will be around them, and that they will wear the armor of God well and always. Uh, we just speak your favor and uh, divine connections, open doors at the right time over them. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you are with them in this walk. Uh, bring the right people from the right communities to, to help, to stand together, to make this a success. And thank you for every South African who loves you and loves this nation and loves its people. Um, help us, Lord, to bring the shift necessary in this time. We pray it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate your time and uh, and what you're doing. And uh, may it be very, very blessed and just go from strength to strength. And uh, I will be yeah on the sidelines cheering and uh, doing what I can where God has placed me. And I'm, I'm sure many others will do the same thing. So thank you very much. Speak soon, man. Thanks right. so much. Sir. Take care. God bless you, man. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for joining us today and being part of this. Apologies again for the technical glitches, but we got through that. <laughs> and uh, what a great conversation. And uh, I really appreciate what he brought to the conversation and really made me think and challenge my thinking. I hope did it the same for you. Um, thank you so much for, for being on board and listening to this. And please remember that all the other Unlocked Live sessions are also on my Facebook page, on YouTube, and it also comes out as a podcast. You can search for that on all the podcast uh, platforms that you may want to go on or just go to my website, heinzwinkler.com forward slash podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Once again, just want to remind you, my wife and I are starting a new um, marriage course seminar that's online on the 1st of October. You can get tickets on Quicket for that. Uh, you can still be part of Our Nation Belongs to God, the music video. Uh, just go to the link that's in this post as well. And you can also be part of the new album that we're working on. So please go check that out. Once again, have a great day. God bless you guys. And remember that God's love can unlock anything in your life. And I believe it can do the same for our nation.